You're tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Today, we're re-airing stories about the fragrant plumeria, and we start with the trees planted on Oahu by a former first lady. 66 years ago, Lady Bird Johnson, wife of President Lyndon Johnson, planted plumeria trees at the East-West Center in Manoa. It was a nod to her legacy of conservation and appreciation of nature. Having grown taller than 40 feet, the trees now tower over visitors. University of Hawaii professor emeritus Richard Criley shared that bit of trivia with us. Crowley has spent decades studying the popular flower. Back in the 1990s, he made one of his most exciting discoveries using a chemical called ethophon to induce blooms year-round. The Conversations Lillian song takes us out to Waimanalo, home to the UH research station where Crowley did much of his work. Take a look at these stenopetalotypes. Steno meaning narrow and petala for petals. So this is a narrow petal variety. Wow, their petals are so thin and they're they're so waxy white. Plumeria you would never see in the backyard. True. These are rust resistant sister seedlings. So we are interested in them from the standpoint that could we get rust resistant colored plumerias out of crossing with these. And what is plumeria rust? Uh, I'm trying to see if I can spot some on these trees. It's been so dry lately that rust hasn't developed very much. Well, it looks like orange dust on the underside of the leaf with black spots on the top of the leaf. But it doesn't kill the tree. It doesn't really debilitate it because most of the trees have been producing carbohydrates in their leaves all summer long. And a little rust at the end of the season, eh. And so there's actually another, an insect that causes more damage to a plumeria to watch out for. Yeah, it's called the plumeria borer. Here's a branch, for example, that had plumeria borer in it. You can see the hole down there near the base. Yes. That's where the insect had chewed its way out after eating its way down the stem. The inside is all pith and that's what the insect grub chews on. And then after it pupates and becomes an adult, it chews its way out, and you can see these round holes. A branch broke off here that was affected, but the rest of the mother branch survived. So it means that the grub that chews out the inside doesn't have to go all the way down. If it feels satisfied with its meal, it'll sit there and pupate and make another beetle. It's a much worse problem than rust. It'll kill a tree or maybe just branches. The adult form flies off after laying its eggs. It doesn't feed on the tree itself. The grub is what feeds on the tree. And it's inside, so chemical sprays can't reach it. There's not a lot of insects that feed on plumeria. Fortunately, we don't have the plumeria caterpillar. There's one in Florida. It's about four to five inches long, and it will defoliate a plant almost overnight. We're very fortunate that we don't have that insect. And because plumerias don't produce nectar, they don't produce a lot of pollen, the bees aren't really interested. We don't have a lot of native butterflies that will even try to feed on it. So how do plumeria get pollinated? That's a really good question. We don't know. I theorize that the tiny, tiny little insects known as thrips get down into the narrow throat and maybe that's what's doing it, but they have to move from one flower to the next and carry pollen at the same time. This particular plant is a, uh, another species. It's called Isabella. When you look at the leaf, it has almost no petiole to it. Petiole. That is the length of what subtends the leaf blade to the stem. That's called a petiole. And Isabella is a nice, low-growing, large green leaf, no rust, white with yellow throat, sets lots of seed pods, destined to be a good parent. Most all of these were planted in 2002, but as we got out towards this end, there were some holes that we filled in, and we still have some holes to fill in yet. So how many rows are there? We have 10 rows and 31 plants in a row. Wow, 10 rows, 31 plants each. That's a lot of plants. We'll go up here to plant 21, and then we'll cut across. Okay. It's 
interesting. Some of these are much greener than others. Why is that? It's just the species? species the species type tend to stay green, mm. evergreen. The rubber types by this time of year are getting ready to lose their leaves. They're deciduous. You look the next one up here. This is the kind of player I'm used to seeing. Yeah. This is the second most common plumeria in Hawaii is the Singapore plumeria. Plumeria obtusa because it has an obtuse leaf, the ending. Obtuse, more rounded? It's blunt, it doesn't come to a point. And when you feel a foliage, feel how tough and leathery it is. Oh wow. Very thick. So this is the Singapore variety. And you mentioned yeah. that there was a plot of Singapore plants on the University of Hawaii campus. Yes, we have a planting that was installed in 1960 when Lady Bird Johnson came out to help with the original dedication of the East-West Center. That's exciting history. Yeah, and you can see how big plumeries can get when you look at those because they've been allowed to grow with minimal pruning over the years. How tall are those trees there? At least 40 feet. And here at the research station, though, your trees will never get to 40 feet. These are 20 years old, and they're not even close. But, you know, if you let them go for 60 years, you might get some up there. <laughs> and the purpose of the research station is? Well, this, the station supports Hawaii agriculture in a variety of ways. Fruit crops, vegetable crops, and a little bit on ornamental plants. Professor Crowley, you identified that for the laymakers, they they said during the winter into the January months, there is no flowering of plumeria, but they were hoping to perhaps, and you were going to help them find a solution to getting more flowers during the usual downtime, the resting time of a plumeria tree. True enough. That was one of my objectives when I set out to do plumeria research. And we found that the flowers are initiated basically during the long days of summer, but then when we get into the fall and the leaves fall off the trees, the plant goes into dormancy. And then during December, January, into February, there's hardly any flowers available except maybe a few last flowers on the last inflorescences from summer. But if we fool the plant into thinking that it's already time to go into dormancy in September, we can get flowers forced out in late December, January for the tourist trade. We had had some hints of this because the growers used to say, if I hand pick all the leaves off in the fall, I can get some winter flowering. That's a lot of work. I don't know how many attempted it, but I know that there's nobody actively doing it now. I wish there were because it would prove out the, the value of the work that I did and published back in the 1990s, 30 years ago. It's really interesting that you were able to identify that with this chemical application that you could actually induce more flowering. Yeah. Okay, well let's keep going. Oh, this one is a pretty one. What are you called? Gloria Schmidt. Gloria Schmidt? Yeah. Gloria Schmidt was from Kauai. She had a property in Ihea, and Jim Little and I were invited over to see the varieties that she had brought with her from Kauai. And this was one of them that we liked. Mm, this one is a pretty one. Mm -hmm. the, the leaves. Oh, is that some rust on it there? Yes. Most of the rubras are rust susceptible. This is Elizabeth Thornton. Elizabeth Thornton was one of the founders of the Plumeria Society of America in Texas. She had quite a large and extensive Plumeria collection, and some of them were collected in Mexico. And I think Mexico is still a good place to collect because the Spanish friars, the missionaries, always would plant them around their graveyards. So they would have had an eye out for good quality flowers. When I go down the Kalani Island Ole Highway, I will see a lot of plumeria. Oh yeah. So that neighborhood, they love their plumeria. Yep, and a good environment, hot and dry. This is a fairly good fragrant plumeria. 
Okay, that one I smell. <laughs> this one is called San Germain. Another one that would be interesting to develop for a colorful form with fragrance and no rust. Do you have any favorite types of plumeria for yourself? Well, there's one variety called Lurleen, which is one of our earliest selections that I like very much. But it's not a heavy bloomer, so I doubt that we've got it in bloom right now. What is it about Lurleen? Uh, it's very rich colored. If you think of the reds and the yellows and their combination as a velvet type of texture, that's kind of what it reminds me of. So that's it, the payoff working with plants like Plumeria. You get to really experience the wide plethora, the wide mm -hmm. gamut of the plants. I'm seeing a little bee actually floating around. What was the most exciting discovery you've had doing this work? The winter flowering, applying the ethophon, which converts in the plant to ethylene, which causes the leaves to fall off, which tricks the plant into not knowing it's got short days, and it starts pushing out the flower buds. All right, learned quite a bit. Anything else you wanna share with our listeners? Well, just to be more conscious of the differences that exist amongst the trees in our neighborhoods. Yeah, we walk by them and we see yellows and whites and pinks. And people pretty much, it's part of the landscape. We don't think a lot about it. But what makes some of these different from other ones? And it could be the length of the flowering season, the longevity of the flower, its fragrance, things that you don't really observe just as a, a walker by. That was University of Hawaii professor Richard Criley taking HPR's Lillian Song on a walking tour of a University of Hawaii research station Plumeria plot. Criley's retired now but continues to lecture about the blossom at global conferences and workshops. He shared this tip. If you thoroughly wash off the white sticky sap when you pick a branch, it'll help the blooms last longer. Jim Little's love affair with Plumeria has lasted more than 50 years. It began after an overgrown tree supplied him with a yard full of cuttings. But his Frangipani fascination took off after learning how to hybridize from Bill Moraney, who is regarded as the pioneer of the cross-pollinating technique. Little welcomed visitors to his Haleiwa Plumeria farm for the first time earlier this month. His work with this layflower has garnered global recognition. He's created thousands of new varieties, each with unique scents, colors, and shapes, which collectors will pay top dollar for. Little has passed down his Plumeria passion to his son Clark and grandson Dane. The conversations Lily and Song visited the farm to talk with the three generations, starting with Jim. Well, it started when uh, the tree was banging against the house, and I had to cut it down because it was keeping everybody awake at night. So I cut it down, and then I had all these branches, and I didn't know what to do with them. And I asked the landscape supervisor what to do, and he says, just stick them in a can and grow them. So I sampled that out, put about 40 in a can, and these were big soup cans. And in about three months, they started to flower. And I didn't know what to do with them, so I took them down to a garden center down by the ward warehouse. And I asked the garden center manager if he'd be interested in selling them. And he said, no, I have no interest in selling plumerias. People in Hawaii just break them off and stick them in the ground and they grow. Well, I said, would you be interested maybe in taking them on consignment? And he said, okay, he was reluctant, but he said, I'll, I'll try. Well, he took them and 10 days later, he calls me back and said, oh, we sold all the plumeries, you got any more? And then I said, this is the beginning of something that has a lot of interest for me. From there on in, I started to collect plumerias 
and I met with growers who taught me some of the skills, and then I joined all the nursery associations in Hawaii to mix with people that were professional, and I learned a great deal from them. And then after I found out how easy it was to grow plumerias, then I started to collect everything I could until eventually I met the late Bill Moraney, who showed me how to hybridize. Once I learned how to hybridize, we started to make new babies and new colors. And that would have been 1973 when that first Singapore... That was my first experience, was 1973, yes. So, Clark, read that you were actually also very involved with your dad in this experience, right? So when did the nurseries actually start? Um... Well, 1973, I was five, <laughs> so back then I wasn't doing much, but I had an interest in plants. My dad taught me from a young age. He built a nursery, and he started developing plumeria farms, and he taught me everything I needed or wanted to know about growing all plants. I've been doing it, gosh, for probably 25 years at least maybe even 30 years it's just nice that he taught me so much because he has a wealth of information and I've been able to gather that and then share it actually with my son and that's kind of cool that we can drop it to three generations and we all love growing plumerias. We all love plants. And we're super excited to be developing all kinds of new flowers and creations and finally opening up our plumeria farm to the public, celebrating my dad's 50th years of plumeria growing. And it's a special thing. We're very, very excited, very optimistic. And there's just so much fun things that we love to do, and it's nice to be able to share our knowledge with other people. You also had experience outside of family business because weren't you with the city and county? Yes, I actually worked for Wahiawa Botanical Garden. I was a supervisor up there for 17 years. It was a fun job. I loved it. I enjoyed it until my photography took off, which just threw a curveball in my whole life in, in a good way. I had to make a decision to leave the botanical garden and be a photographer, which I ended up doing and made the right choice. And that's been successful and blossoming for me. But I never gave up the green thumb. I've always visited the farm. I've always worked with my dad. And I still love working with the plumeras. Okay. And for you, Dane, you were born into this. Yeah, I've been up at this farm ever since I was a little kid, and it's just, it's beautiful up here. I love looking at the flowers. I didn't go to school for this, but coming back from college, I started a job at UPS, and it was just the first job. It was during COVID, and it was a good experience, but then I started getting into plumerias with my grandpa and father. I've come to love it more and more as the years go by, and I'm super grateful that they allowed me to have this opportunity to work on a farm like this, a beautiful farm. Yeah. It's like on the job. I mean, you were it's, born into yeah, this. Yeah, born into this. It's, it's amazing. You don't have to pay for this education. <laughs> no, I get, I get it from my grandpa and my dad. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, they teach me a lot. I also saw some seedlings on the way in. Yeah, I plant the seed in a two-inch pot, and then as it gets maybe about four inches, I'll transplant into a six-inch pot in our nursery over there. And by the time they get about like a foot to 18 inches, we will put them in the ground and then wait maybe two to three years and we'll see some new blooms and hopefully some new keepers, some new flowers, yeah. So it really is the long game. You guys have to be very patient. You're very nurturing and until that first bloom comes out, you don't really know what that flower will be. Exactly. Yes, and we have thousands in the ground right now that will be brand new. You know, whether they're gorgeous, which we're hoping, or they're not as beautiful, we just haven't seen them. Yeah, and the excitement of not knowing is part of it. But you want to go out there and look, is there a flower head? I mean, the excitement of there's new leaves coming out. I mean, the little things actually kind of get us really excited. And it's simple, but it is long. I mean, it does take sometimes three to five years from when you plant the seed for it to show its flower. Yeah, it's a waiting game, but boy, it's worth it when you get a knockout like 
Metallica and Hawaiian Fire and Dane, you know, these are all JL varieties. We have so many that my dad has developed along this journey. And now Dane is planting thousands. My dad says, that's enough, boy. He keeps saying it. And Dane's like, no, I mean, let's keep, let's keep the little farms going. And that's, that's what we're trying. Gotta stay ahead. And yeah, I mean, you don't, you never know when you get a new purple or a, I mean, for all we know, we could get a, a blue flower one day. I mean, maybe not, but like, that's just something that's an exciting thing to think about and wait on, you know? The yeah, unknown. Yeah. It's, not, it's, you never know. Not all seedlings are keepers. Some of them are rejects. And we try and be very selective on what we keep and not let the inferior crosses enter into the market. Only the best. You just mentioned blue plumeria. Is that... Does that exist? Not yet, not yet. We have a purpley silver one, which is Metallica, which was one of the first very unique ones that was created by my grandpa. And just to have something, maybe not blue, but I mean, something different, you know, just would be very cool. And going back on that, sometimes when you see a flower and it, it looks plain, you might have to wait another year for the flower to mature because flowers change. Like in the beginning, they might not be fully mature and they might look plain. And then the next year it, it'll change and you're like, oh, that's a keeper, you know? So it's it's like you said, the waiting game. You don't want to jump the gun yeah, and, yeah, and pull you something you because you're not sure. It might have a little, look. oh, this one might have a little tint of silver or blue or whatever. So we, it's hard. It's yeah. so hard when you have thousands of trees that you got to go through and call the ones that aren't gonna make it and, and, and pick the, the, the beauties to name, you know, for the future. So it's interesting, but that's just part of farming. It's part of farming. You grow, you have to cull, and you have to replant. Dane, I've seen some of the names that these, these plumeria have. Your name amongst them. How do these names come about? Uh, we all come together before they come out and we name them. I'm lucky enough my grandpa was able to name one after me and my entire family. So they're all gorgeous flowers, so I'm, I'm stoked. I was very particular in <laughs> picking the best for my family. <laughs> Wonderful legacy. Yeah, thank you. And on the website, Clark, I see you talking to one named Chemo. What is Chemo? <laughs> Chemo is kind of one of the original plumeria. It's got a peach color and a nice fragrance. But yeah, it's one of the OGs. Um, my dad might have more information on it. Chemo is developed by Ted Chin, and Ted Chin was a student under Dr. Criley. And Dr. Criley has been so instrumental in sharing his knowledge and his long time experience with Pumerias. And I must admit that a lot that I have achieved today has come from Dr. Criley's guidance. Dane, what color is your flower? It's a yellow flower with red pointed tips. So it's kind of unique in that the plumeria has pointed tips. Pointed tips, mm -hmm. so it's a rounded tip. Mm-hmm, pointed, wow. yeah. You're 23, 23, so this came out when you were what? Oh man, <laughs> I don't even know, I, I was young. You guys gotta answer that one. I'm thinking at least 15 years ago, I am yeah. thinking. Yeah, probably, that's a good guess, yeah. And so this is the process you go through. You're planting seedlings, you're waiting that three to five years to for a bloom to happen. Pointy tips, wow, yeah. very unique. Okay, yeah. and how's the scent on that one? Because that's another aspect of your flowers. It's It smells like a good plumeria. I'd say it, it's a sweet fragrance. Sweet, sweet. looking and sweet fragrance. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so Clark, for you, since you've been around longer, how many uh, varieties do you have named? I'm, well, there is a JL Clark wave, and it's kind of a yellowy with a nice little curly wave to it. And it has a very good fragrance, similar to the Hawaiian leaf flower, AKA Celadine, which they use all over the airports, and you can smell that's the traditional one. So it has that really, really neat lay flower fragrance, very thick and sturdy growth habit. It's a special one that my dad named for me, so I'm stoked. And we are in the process of still trying to figure out a new variety for my father. And we have two in mind. We don't want to jump the gun because we just want to make sure it's special, very, very special for my father. How, how far down along the line do you think that will be? 
I mean, we're, we're getting close. We have two that we're looking at and we're kind of leaning towards this one that we actually even planted in, in an area that could be anywhere from this year and Garen's probably by next year. The flowers that we choose and do name, they have to be a really excellent variety of all the categories, you know, fragrance, growth habit, colors, and it takes a committee. I mean, we have a, a group of people that sit down and pick out which flowers that we're gonna release for the next year, and it takes time. It takes a lot of time. After all these years, we wouldn't be here unless we were trustworthy. And I'd say that many of our customers return. One of the greatest joys that I have is being able to, to teach, which I've been doing all my life. And then I'm so thankful that we can keep it in the family and share the beauty with others that are interested. And I'm just very, very fortunate and couldn't be happier to have it be a family operation. I'm thankful every day that I have my family involved. That was Plumeria farmer Jim Little, his son Clark, grandson Dane, and HPR's Lillian Song. The family will commemorate Jim Little's Gobin Jubilee and his life's work creating beautiful varieties. The family Plumeria farm, home to thousands, opened to the public for the first time this month. Public and private tours are open through October. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company since 2005, featuring a locally based customer care team committed to problem solving and personal service for each client. Learn more at Mobi.com. Marketplace is here to help you make sense of this new economic reality. We know that you rely on trusted journalism to navigate this uncertainty, and that's a privilege and a responsibility that public media takes seriously. And we are committed to connecting the dots for you through these times. So please join me, Kai Rizdal, every weekday on Marketplace. Beginning this evening at 6, following All Things Considered. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. Last fall, we had the chance to talk to Dick Wheeler, owner of Molokai Plumeria. He says at one time, the farm was the largest supplier of fresh blooms for lay sellers in the state. At the time, the drought had weakened his orchard, and his farm's original 3,000 trees had been reduced to half that number. And they're vulnerable to insects, specifically the plumeria borer, as well as a number of viruses. This includes one found previously in Florida and one believed to be new to both the United States and to scientists. As he explained, he's concerned that plumerias in Hawaii are under serious threat. We have had a good run. We've been doing it for 35 years. We planted, you know, the 3,000-plus trees, but uh, in the past, especially in the past three or four years, we've had a major problem with the longhorn plumeria borer beetle. It's, uh, it lays its eggs in the tree, digs in, lays its eggs. The larva crawls up through it, spends, I'm, under, I'm told, 90% of its life inside, so you can't even spray the darn things. And uh, it's killing them. It's killing my trees. And not all at once. It's a kind of a slow death over the orchard, but it's it's picked up pace now that the drought has been with us and the trees have been stressed. They're vulnerable and they're they're taking it on the chin, and uh, it's painful to watch. And I I can drive down the road and on the island and see trees in the people's yards that are that are also fallen under, and leads me to think that that could be the end for plumerias in Hawaii. And I sure hope somebody official is working on this and trying to find a natural predator because. I've tried systemic insecticides. I've tried uh, uh, all kinds of things, and um, nothing seems to work very well. And they just they just keep coming. 
You can't. I, the whole time I've been fighting these things, which I've seen them on the orchard for probably 10 years, I've, I've never, I've only once seen one out flying around. So, I mean, I see them landing in my, in my water trough and they kind of die in there. So I know they're out pretty regular, but it's, it's a bad situation. So I'm agreeing to this interview, in fact, because I want this broadcast everywhere. I've had, I've had heads of various ag departments come and visit on the farm and they're all going, wow, bummer, you know, but uh, not much hope for resolution. Maybe some of your listeners might have, have an, a good idea. So it's not real clear then what other places are doing to combat this uh, pest. No, it's not clear at all. And uh, Dr. Crowley suggested I cut everything down to a stump and uh, and let it grow back, you know, destroy all the branches and let it grow back. You know, what about the beetle that's, you know, in the neighbor's yard? It just, that's, that's just a very temporary solution and not something I wanted to even, even go for. You've been dealing with this for how long? Well, I've seen it on the farm for probably at least 10 years. And uh, but it's been the past three years since the drought set in that that it's just gone it's just gone wacko. I mean it's it's um, it's painful. So you're it's barely hanging on. Yeah, that's that's safe to say. But uh, you know I'm I'm old already. It's time to kind of put the brakes on. But it's not how I pictured retirement. So let's let's just put that that way. We're we're a simple family farm. We're not, you know, it's been a pleasure to be in this business. I mean, we our business is making people happy and celebrating Hawaii. You know, where most of our business goes to the mainland, to to Hawaiian people, or at least people who love Hawaii, and on the mainland, and uh, that's been great fun. It's you know, I I love the stories of Tutu's opening the box and the the, the smell comes out and they break into tears because it's just it brings them home. And it would just be a shame to see. Uh, it is a shame to see what's happening to our to our beloved plumeria on the uh, in in the islands. So I, I know they're uh, native to the Caribbean, and what takes care of these pests over there, or even where they came from, I don't know that even. It's it's a mystery to me. Well, you know, we know when King Kamehameha Day comes around uh, that. Uh, you know, the, the lay draping that we see here in Honolulu, that those plumerias come from your farm. People may not know that. <laughs> it hasn't been that way every time, or perhaps we couldn't even supply it in and, and the numbers that they want. And I'm sure that's going to happen this, in the future here because we're down to a lot fewer a lot fewer flowers than we used to have. So that's, that's a big issue. So the and, reality uh, is if, if you don't have the flowers to supply the lay sellers people don't get those lay pretty much yeah i mean there's there's i i think there's something like 10 farms on the islands but and i you know i can think of a few i wouldn't don't even know their names i just know where they're located but uh for a long time there we sold half the flowers in the state if we can believe the department of agriculture statistics so uh but but we're not even not even a shadow of that at the moment it's it's pretty sad so I don't know if I'm worthy of your uh, show, but I just to get the, the message out that this is a problem and, and let's let's really dig into it and commit some resources to, to finding a cure. A while back, we had the uh, papaya mealybug that was, you know, making a mess of our trees. And I thought that was the end then. And the Department of Agriculture was on it and they came up with this little uh, a little wasp, I believe it is. And, and they let loose a little vial on my after a couple of years of research they were on it and they uh we let a little vial of wasp loose and sure enough it cleaned it right up i was very impressed so it was the natural predator that did the job and these you know systemic inject in, injections just aren't going to do it anyway that's my story yeah so so you're looking uh, for some help whether there's another biological control we can try yeah exactly i i want to raise awareness now i'm not so much personally looking for for help we're we're going to be okay i mean we're just going to we're going to milk it here till it goes away but and as i say i'm i'm 74 and uh you know it's it's kind of time to hang up the hang up the rack anyway or you know that's not the phrase but you know what i'm saying yeah you got a downsize and, uh, yeah exactly mm -hmm. it's time to uh time to hang hang it up and uh but it's it's been i still get out there and work every day it's it's 
but you know I, I'm seeing the neighbor's trees go down and uh, it hurts so are you the only plumeria farm there on Molokai? Uh, there's another small one over by the airport mm-hmm. that they, they they do a few commercially but they I think they send them to Oahu they've got a mm-hmm. couple of uh, lay shops there they deal with all the time but they they grow you know tuberos and and oh other things. and right yeah okay so they're okay. not they're not dedicated to plumerias and and you are primarily uh, that's all we've got just just plumerias and then what is it yeah. about plumeria that that gets you that you love so much because you were doing bees before it has to be the fragrance well it's beautiful too but it's just it's just uh, you know it has uh it has become symbolic for good reason. I mean, it just it just grows on you. Who doesn't love a nice plumeria lay? It's um, I think that's what it is, and and making people happy, glad to enjoy it, pleased that I can, you know. When they told me they told me when I started that you can't send them to the mainland. They just they just don't last. And we figured out how to do it, and we've been doing it now for 30 years at least, and uh, it's it's worked out very nicely. So you get joy in making other people happy. Exactly right. That's payment beyond the money thing. It's, it has been a lot of fun, and I've met a lot of nice people, too. Sharing the aloha, that's what drew Dick Wheeler to dedicate the last three and a half decades to growing the fragrant flower. The University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture has been researching the new virus. Doug Brunner is the owner of Maui Plumeria Gardens in Haiku. He exports plumeria cuttings. Bet you never thought about that since many in the islands grew up with these as backyard blooms and easily made into their local favorite, that classic plumeria lay. Here's Brunner. Well, interestingly, we do actually very little business or in the past have done little business in Hawaii. As you may know, the flowers, the blooms, plumeria blooms do not last very long. And it's rather labor intensive to pick the flowers. So we've focused our business on selling plumeria cuttings and root plants and seeds, mostly to people that are on the mainland, although that mix is kind of shifting with our new farm that we've started in Waikapu. But there is a very large plumeria community on the mainland and actually all throughout the world, collectors that collect all different varieties, colors, scents of plumeria. And they share their passion on Facebook groups and Instagram and all different social media sites. And people are really into it, kind of like uh, orchids were maybe 20 to 30 years ago. They used to be rare. And now you can find plumeria at Costco, Home Depot, Lowe's on the mainland. Whereas still in Hawaii, for whatever reason, they're not selling it in those places. So every once in a while, Lowe's and Home Depot will have it. But Typically, it's just the white color, and there are so many fantastic varieties out there that it keeps growing every year. I'm amazed to see just the the hybrids that they're coming up with these days. I mean, they're oh, just yeah. brilliant, and you know, it's like with hibiscus. You know, learning the history and then seeing the reach. You know, I mean, plumerias aren't aren't native to Hawaii, but you know, there is probably some cachet about you know getting a plumeria from the islands here. Oh yes, yes, that's certainly true. I, it, I think it does help that um, we're growing them on Maui, and you know people associate the flower with Hawaii. But you're right; it is indigenous to Mexico, and a number of varieties were brought out in the '50s to Hawaii. And there was a, a group of people on Oahu that had hybridized plumeria, and a lot of those varieties are still very popular throughout the plumeria world. So, tell us about your best sellers. Oh, our best sellers are probably the, the they're the most hardy plants because people a lot there are a lot of first time growers and they'll always they'll say you know we live in the northwest um, it gets cold in the winter what what type of hardy varieties do you have and uh, the hardy varieties are just the thicker cuttings that uh, tend to withstand cooler temperatures a little bit better uh, you know most of our customers treat plumeria as a house plant they'll bring it outdoors in the summer. And then they'll bring it indoors in in the winter. 
So they're looking for thicker varieties. Lay Rainbow is a beautiful variety. It's got yellow, orange, and a hint of white to the flower. The most popular is probably uh, the Celadine, which is often used in hula shows and hula dances. It's the yellow flower with the white edges on it. And then some of our hybrids have been really popular with collectors. So we've grown Plumeria from seed where we've pollinated flowers, taking pollen from one source and depositing it into the flower head and creating a seed pod, which we then planted. And it creates a variety that no one has ever seen before. And some of those popular ones are Orange Crush, and King Crimson. The the names are fabulous. <laughs> yes, they I, really are. I just remember uh, when I saw a plumeria plant in St. Louis at my in-laws, and, and, and you know they said, oh, yeah, we, we put it out in the summer, we take it in for the winter, and it, it just never dawned on me that plumerias would be in those climates. I mean, you know, you see all the cuttings, you know, um, for the tourists to take home. Right, at the airport or at Long's. But I I guess, you know, for all of us who live here, you know, we just know plumerias, you know, the backyard tree or or your your neighbor's tree uh, that you can uh, go pick flowers, you know, to make a fresh lay. Well, I I think you're you're right in that one of the reasons why the business might not be quite as strong in Hawaii is that people can just go to their neighbor's trees and get a cutting from that tree rather than go out and purchase it because they do grow so freely here. Whereas, you know, on the mainland, it's a bit more unique. Jim Little Farms on Oahu is a large plumeria business. And then, you know, I'd say we're like, we're probably like right in there one one and two. And there are some other people that sell plumeria at Swap Meet here on Maui, but they're not they're not major growers. They just do the the local sales. Okay. Trees, although they do grow fast, to be able to take cuttings from a tree, you do need a, at least four to five years of growth. And ideally, it's more like eight to 10 years of growth because you can look at a plumeria tree, it looks like it has a, brand, a lot of branches. But once you start looking at how many 15 to 18 inch branches can I cut off of this tree, you know, it might be uh, 100 or 200, well, that goes pretty quick. And then you don't have a tree anymore. You have to wait <laughs> another couple of years for those branches to grow back. You need space to what? really be able to do do some volume. You know, what got you into the business? Uh, I, well, they're beautiful flowers. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. And and I find myself walking around my farm just amazed at, at the blooms that I've been looking at for 20 years. What really drew me to Plumeria is the fact that you can take a branch, take a cutting of the tree, and then a new cutting will grow right below the, the branch that you just took. So it's it, you're not depleting the tree. It's just continuing to give you more and to, to, to grow, and then you can cut it again and cut it again. So once you plant the trees, it's kind of a one-time um a one-time thing, and mm-hmm. then that tree just keeps giving up for years and years after that. That was Doug Brunner, owner of Maui Plumeria Gardens. Let's wrap up this Hanaho show with a stroll through the Cocoa Head Botanical Gardens Plumeria Grove. There you'll find a mature Plumeria Grove, unusual seed pods, and a variety of trees. Flowers from this garden are part of the Memorial Day tradition of honoring the gravestones at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific at Punchbowl. The grove includes collections from earlier Plumeria pioneers, Jim Little, who wrote a book on raising Plumeria, and Bill Moraney, a key hybridizer. And Paul Weisick created the city's botanical gardens. Talia Portner is the horticulturist for the gardens. She says the young crater, a result of an eruption 7,000 years ago, offers mineral-rich soil ideal for drought-tolerant Plumeria. There's about 80 cultivars in here, and we do have a handful of wild collected species from the Americas, Venezuela, Colombia, Cuba. Paul Weisick had the wherewithal to see this place in the 50s. I think they were thinking of it to be a landfill, and he had the vision to say, well, well, let's think about making this a public garden for the community. And the Cactus and Succulent Society of Hawaii were were actually the first planters for this collection. And so we have some of the older succulents and cacti in the state. 
in this garden, planted in the 50s, because of its drier sort of music landscape, we definitely put more of our drought tolerant species in here, including something like plumeria. So tell us about the types of plumeria that people can come here to see. We don't do any sort of exporting. You know, we're a living collection like a museum. So we don't allow any collecting or any taking of these collections, but they are available through Jim Little and his production. Moraine's was the first one to start hand pollinating here in Hawaii and making crosses and selecting for different types, maybe flower color or fragrance. They aren't necessarily the best for laymaking. Sometimes we don't collect from these colorful ones they don't last, you know, you want to have that celadine, that's the Hawaii variety with the yellow on the inside and the white petals, those last the longest, they have the most fragrance. When Memorial Day comes around, then the Boy Scouts, you know, that project to put lay on, on all the tombstones there at Punchbowl, I mean, this is where they come. They come here, we go to the Waimanalo College of Tropical Agriculture Research Station. We have hordes of teams all around the island collecting for that. The goal is something like 30,000 laid. We do some collecting in here and then around the state. And then the area where you normally go to pick those flowers for lay, that's in a different area, a special area that you've set aside, the, the trees are smaller? Correct, so we have a trial garden section that we've started planting more recently so that we can actually reach the flowers without a bucket truck. A lot of our trees are over 40, 50 years old, so we don't prune, we, don't, we let them grow to their natural state so they're pretty hard to get the flowers. We are in the process of planting about 15 more varieties for the years to come, varieties that are good for lays. And talk about the growing season because we're on the tail end of the growing season for the plumeria and you say that we're about to shut the water off, so talk about that. So plumerias, many species are deciduous, meaning they drop their leaves as they go into their dormant season. This helps them survive through different types of growing periods and they hold on to their energy. They drop all their leaves so they really slow down their photosynthesis. This whole garden, about 60 acres that are accessioned, are actually, we irrigate. So this ensures that we can keep healthy plants. We don't do a ton of watering. We can change the watering regime. And for something like plumeria, they don't need so much water and we can alter it depending on what's happening around us. So now that we're heading into the rainy season, we will shut the water down from Halloween. I shut it off on Halloween every year. And then I will turn the water back on the beginning of March. That's four months of no water. And then they will lose all their leaves. They'll look just like skeletons, but they're happy and they're healthy. And that's how we keep these going for the decades that they've been here. And then the peak blooming season is when then? I would say they start to get their leaves again. And then June through September would be the peak peak and you really can see big changes from foliar growth to beautiful blooms and then dropping the blooms. So you see these beautiful ground covers of circles of pink under the pink trees next to circles of white under the white trees under the ground. And you walk in on a hot, humid day and you just get inundated with this fragrance. That sounds fabulous. And, I, and you must get lots of people, visitors coming through here, you know, because people from all over love the plumeria. And then they're, they're members of the Plumeria Society, right? So they want to kind of see what's out here. Correct. And what's nice about our plumeria collection is it's right in the beginning of our 
crater. So even though this is a two mile hike, if you want to do the perimeter of the crater and it's uneven and hot and a little bit cumbersome for certain people, the Plumeria collection is right in the beginning. So we have a lot of regulars that come just to see the Plumeria and they sit in the picnic table in the middle of this Plumeria grove and just get to be in it. Summer is peak season, ideal for checking out the Plumeria Grove. And if you're curious about Plumeria, read Jim Little's book, Growing Plumeria in Hawaii and Around the World. That's it for our Hanaho show, showcasing those who have dedicated their lives to cultivating our favorite flower, the plumeria. You can listen back to our program on the conversation page of the HPR website or sign up for the conversation podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our program is produced by Russell Subiano, Lillian Song, and Stephanie Hahn. The Backyard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello. Our theme music, courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Tune in to HPR Monday through Friday at 11 and join the conversation. Mm-hmm.